Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you until 8pm, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me this evening. And uh, I said last week, hopefully we'd have a good growing week. And indeed, we had some great rainfall over the weekend, followed by some lovely warm weather. Uh, With rain given again for this Friday and temperatures in the mid-teens, it is looking good for the week ahead. So uh, good news on the horizon. On to this evening's programme and in a moment we will be speaking about the big news this week which is the €1,000 aid for silage making. Uh, But also we have a piece on the Glanbia Keepak Beef 2020 Club where beef and dairy farmers come together with a view to breeding and rearing beef calves from the dairy herd with a premium paid by Keepak once certain criteria is met. Uh, ingredients and whatnot have to be bought from Glanby as one of the preconditions. Uh, the issue here is that of breeding and the quality of dairy beef calves. It's what Uh, puts a lot of beef farmers off so with the introduction of the dairy beef index and a realisation that breeding must be improved uh, this seems to be moving in the right direction we'll be chatting all about the 2020 club a little bit later Fine Gael are having a big agri event in Tullamore this Saturday it's an agriculture and rural development special conference it's called Stronger Communities in Rural Ireland and it has a big lineup of names and topics really comprehensive list of speakers I have to say uh, about five or six different sessions over the course of the whole day and uh, it uh, one of those is the challenges and opportunities of climate action for food production uh, so I always uh, look at this word challenge we see it very 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 regularly when it comes to agriculture at the moment indeed lots of challenges out there uh, for the farmers as we speak and I'll be speaking to Minister Patrick O'Donovan about this event a little bit later he's a Limerick man and uh, he's involved in that event on Saturday Towards the end of the hour, Ross and Amy Jackson from Laka Organic Farm will join me. They run a tillage and sheep enterprise just outside Burr where they sell lamb direct to customers and they also have a good rotational system where grassland reseeding and tillage go hand in hand. Having planted multi-species sward in 2018, they were ahead of the pack and we'll hear all about their enterprise a little bit later in the programme. Now, as always, text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 And to start this evening, as I said, we are going to be talking about the uh, silage incentive, but it's a leash double header as uh, Trevor Cobb, leash man, will join me in a moment to speak about our opening evening on his farm this Friday. But first I have John Keane, president of Mokra. Uh, John, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Much appreciated. Glad to be here, Mick. Uh, John, it's uh, good news. Uh, I know farmers will say, look, we want more uh, given the price of fertiliser. However, a good beginning is half the work, as they say. And uh, there is this uh, grant that was announced on Monday of this week. So it is €100 Euro a hectare for silage ground. And uh, I got a piece of info in from yourselves earlier in the week. And it is broken down very simply in that uh, a ton, basically, of, um, of canned uh, contains 270 kilos of nitrogen and at peak grass growth the response to chemical nitrogen is 50 kilos of grass for one kilo of nitrogen so that ton of can could grow a staggering 13 and a half thousand kilos 13 and 13 and a half ton of uh, of silage so we're looking at the response that is available from nitrogen uh, and 
The flip side of that is Chagas did a, a survey earlier in the week or towards last week and it's up on 47% of beef farmers were yet to spread any uh, nitrogen. So really that's what this scheme is about. The impetus is to get people spreading uh, more than anything. Um, are you happy with it, John? Thanks, MJ. I suppose, as, as we said ourselves, it is, it is a step in the right direction. It, it, I think it's the first step needed for to ensure fodder security towards next winter. As you rightly say, it's €100 Euros a hectare payment, uh, up to 10 hectares for, for beef and, and sheep farmers. Uh, it is a step in the right direction, but I think, as your listeners will appreciate, uh, and all farmers will appreciate listening, that there is, there is a great deal of input cost rise over the past number of weeks and months, um, and there is going to be more to do. And I suppose we have looked for for Chagas to do a piece of work in line with to follow on from, as you've directly quoted from the, the piece of research that they did and survey a couple of weeks ago um, that they now take into consideration in the next few weeks um, what this support payment will do in order to provide fodder on farm and what the potential gaps will be there on farms and how that support payment can be used and built upon to ensure that there is uh, indeed fodder securities across all farms into next winter uh, and indeed to ensure that we have food security across the island and indeed across the EU. Uh, the big question, uh, John, and it's uh, one that was put to me a couple of times in the last couple of days uh, by different farmers when we were speaking about this, is how will it be policed? How What is silage ground? As in, uh, some people let paddocks go on a bit stronger and they cut them for silage. Some people have, well, everyone has designated silage ground, but there's, there's, it's, a, it's a very hard thing to actually define. Uh, is there any ideas on the logistics of this scheme? So as of yet, MJ, we haven't heard of the, the level of detail down to that at this stage in terms of how the definition of, a, as you say, an acre of silage ground or a hectare of silage ground, it also appears that that ground that would be uh, in a traditional hay meadow might not fall under this scheme, as it's called a, a silage scheme, and some of your listeners might be, uh, in, I suppose, preserving or conserving hay for winter feed as well. Uh, and we do also have the question around whether or not uh, that those farmers that are contract rearing, be that either beef animals or be that dairy animals, uh, whether or not those enterprises are going to be able to avail of this grant because it is our understanding at the moment that uh, any enterprise with a milk supply contract will not qualify for this uh, for this support scheme. So whether you've, you've 10 dairy cows or 20 dairy cows and, and a beef or a sucker enterprise or a tillage enterprise alongside that uh, dairy enterprise, it appears at the moment that the they, those enterprises will not qualify. So there is a huge amount of detail to be worked out and the, I suppose the requirements on the farmer in order to draw down the, the payment under the scheme needs to be clarified as well. And I suppose what we're looking for is that that's as, as simplified as, as, as measure as possibly, whether that be uh, conservation of tons of dry matter in the pit or whether that be conservation through bale silage or if, if the hay becomes applicable for the scheme as well, that those would, would be the measures and that uh, the onus on the farmer who are already also cash strapped in, in many enterprises that the, the, the onus on those to access this scheme wouldn't be a, a bureaucratic exercise. Yeah, no, 100%. It needs, needs to be very simple and uh, it needs to be sooner rather than later. As a dairy farmer, John, uh, do you think it's fair that dairy farmers are excluded from this scheme? Um, I think on the on the first one, MJ, a, a proud beef farmer as well as a dairy farmer, so I'm I'm feeling the pain on it. I think from from the point of view of exclusion, MJ, it's important to note as well. Look in the figures, in raw figures terms, uh, it's 1.7 million. Um, is what would have been needed to to cover the scheme for to allow the dairy farmers of the country to access this scheme. Um, the 17,000 dairy farmers have a thousand euros apiece. That's what that breaks down to being. Um, we have seen on, on dairy farms that farmers have come to us to say that they are under pressure with the rise of input costs. 
some farmers who are under pressure from the, the fixed milk price scheme that they are uh, cash strapped at the moment and having the, the resources that they would in other years. So it is impacting on those farms as well. And I think from a, a whole of sector point of view to ensure the ultimate aim of this scheme is to ensure we have enough fodder for next winter. And I think that's regardless of enterprise. So we would be disappointed that it wasn't for all livestock farmers um, and that the approach for, for the whole of sector approach in terms of livestock would have been taken because, you know, fodder on farm is, is what needs to be secured for next winter and beyond. Yeah, 100%. John, I'll say many thanks for joining me on that and we'll speak to you again on the programme. And I'm going to move very quickly across to another leashman, uh, Trevor Cobb, who we had on the programme here in December. Uh, Trevor, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Hello, MJ. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so the last time you were on, Trevor, it was as a result of you winning the Young Dairy Farmer of the Year, the FBD Mocker Competition. And uh, this evening, you're just on to give a mention about an open evening which you have on your farm this Friday. Yeah, so we are hosting an open evening, a walk and talk, um, being run by Melik Mocker and my local club. So the first half of the walk will be about our own farm. We'll do about four stops around it look at the technical performance of the farm, the changes we've made over the years and the investment in sheds and technology in the last few years as well. Then the second half of the talk will involve three or four of the Young Farmer of the Year finalists and um, that discussion will be chaired by the Mocha Ag Affairs Chairman, Shane Fitzgerald from Waterford. Very good. And uh, Trevor, have you an air code there for ease of access for people who wish to attend? I have. The address is Doula House, Doula Port Arrington, County Leash, and the air code is R32P4F8. P4F8. Lovely stuff. So it's uh, Doula House and it's R32P4F8. And what I'll do is I'll give that a mention again uh, a couple of times maybe on the programme here throughout the course of the next hour. And uh, Trevor, we wish you well on, uh, on Friday evening. Hope you get a good turnout. Perfect. Thank you very much, MJ. More than welcome. Uh, now I am going to shoot to a break uh, I suppose look that is the big news that silage support scheme of the week and uh, I know you're all going to be wondering how do you apply and what do you do and when will we get the money uh, none of that is set in stone yet but that uh, dairy farmers as, as it stands this evening unless it changes dairy farmers are excluded if you have a milk supply contract you won't get it and uh, it is 100 a hectare uh, up to 10 hectares so 25 acres and it's a 1000 euro and uh, as soon as more details come on stream for that we'll have them for you here on the programme now now, coming up after the break, we are moving on to the Beef 2020 Club. It's an uh, initiative between Glanbia and Keypack. It's going to go a while now, and uh, we're going to get an update on it and uh, how you can enter it as well, should you so wish. So stay tuned for that. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And we're moving on to all things beef, uh, dairy beef to be specific. And we're going to be talking about the Beef 2020 Club. We have Martin Ryan from Glanbia on the line. Martin, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you, MJ. And good evening, all. Uh, so Martin, the Beef 2020 Club, it's a partnership with Glanbia and Keypack and many farmers will be familiar with it. But for somebody who isn't aware of the programme, uh, can you explain it, please? I suppose, first of all, it's important to, I suppose, reflect that the genesis of it was uh, back a couple of years ago when beef prices were rock bottom and there was pressure on, um, you know, the calf rearing and other things. So we set out together with uh, Keypack to try and create uh, transparency and predictability around beef pricing, pricing, and also to give a premium that made it worthwhile to rear those calves. And today we're in a different place, uh, where we offer 25 cents premium over and above the average quoted price, apart from other elements of it. But it really focuses on trying to extract value from three areas. One is better genetics, so by by making sure 
calves coming into the club have greater potential in terms of beef carcass and conformation than some might otherwise have. Uh, and then production efficiency is a major part. Getting the most from grassland, grassland utilisation, making sure they're performing every day they exist with the support of our technical team, and then uh, a market premium when the product goes to key pack that's taken to the market. And what's really underpinning that market premium is a traceability system around inputs, um, a lower number of movements on the calves, um, but also, uh, to date, the average slaughter age is under 24 months, which is about five months below the national average, which reduces the carbon footprint uh, from a consumer perspective. And therefore, the retailer Jitterin is prepared to pay a premium for that. Uh, say on the uh, the slaughter age there, 24 months, uh, Martin, while it, it, they are, it is younger, there's no question about that, we're used to it in around 30 months, um, presumably the level of concentrate for an animal to be finished at 24 months, especially when it's coming out of a dairy herd, it's, it's obviously going to be higher. So does it balance out on the carbon footprint with uh, a higher use of concentrate versus less time on planet Earth, if you will? Okay, there's, there's two aspects to that, uh, MJ. The first one is, there isn't actually any experience of higher input of concentrate to date, believe it or not. Um, it's predominantly achieved through better genetics and better grassland management. Um, the key re- pieces really are to get the calf rearing piece right and get them off to a good start and then getting them to perform well at grass uh, with good grassland management. And that's why we have technical people supporting members in that regard. So we're actually achieving the same slaughter weight as the national average are at 29 months, at, at under 24. In fact, last year our heifers averaged 21.8 and our steers 23.7, with no differences in carcass weight. So well under, well under the, you know, 800 kilos throughout the life is the average input, uh, which is no different um, to the national average. It, it's really about you know, doing everything well from animal health to welfare, and that early stage nutrition piece is absolutely crucial. And say, uh, Martin, those heifers, for example, at 21.8 months, uh, roughly carcass weights, what, what, what are you kind of talking about? What ballpoint for um, that? They're on the lighter end of our spectrum. They're generally in the 280 to 300 kg mark, uh, whereas our um, steers are, are more likely uh, on the 320 kg mark around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so does, um, you know, it's, it's, what we're finding is uh, you need to use the better angus bulls and whatever to make sure that you reach those target weights after the second grazing, before you go into the winter. And, and that's one of the things that we're really pushing hard at this time of year, MJ, which is using the dairy beef index, select bulls that are of highest, higher carcass merit, but, but of similar calving, so that you're not actually having an issue with calving at the, at the dairy end, but you're actually able to deliver significantly more carcass weight at 20 months of age. Well, on the genetic side of things, Martin, and it is something we've uh, often spoken about here on, on the programme, and I suppose from a beef perspective, look, you're looking for uh, the best quality genetics, no question about it, and you're looking for dairy farmers to use the dairy beef index and really put their heart and soul into it. However, if you put your shoes into the, uh, or put your feet, I should say, into the shoes of a dairy farmer, dairy farmer's gone through a really busy spring uh, after going through a really busy start of the breeding period, trying to get their own replacement heifers done and right. You're getting into the back end then when it's time to, to use those uh, the, the later cows, if you will, that usually have your Angus and your Whitehead. It is hard to expect a dairy farmer to give his or her all at that stage 
for a calf that's going to be sold. I know in an ideal world it's what we want, but in reality, especially with low labour uh, on farms, farmers are strung out, they're tired at the back end, it's challenging. Actually, um, it's really only about the selection of the straws at an early point. Uh, once you're satisfied with the calving level, that you're actually choosing cows of higher uh, genetic merit. And, and the reality is that farmers were actually extremely well rewarded for those better calves last spring. You know, if you went into a calf mart on a particular day, um, you know, the, the, there was calves within a breed ranging from 20 euros to 350 euros based on actual calf quality and and that early bit of welfare. I appreciate there may be an element of um, fatigue at the end of the calving season, but it's really only about having those better straws in your pot or selecting a bull, if it's a stock bull, that has that potential, you know, except that obviously the genetic evaluations of a stock bull won't be as reliable as an AI bull that has thousands of, of progeny on the ground and has already had cattle gone to slaughter, if you like, to the factory or whatever. Well, say the AI bull, for example, Martin, because, you know, again, hard to expect the dairy farmers to go all AI. You know, they will release a stock bull at some stage. Um if if the likes of the the powers that be, and even taking into account the likes of the the government here, um, if they really, really, really wanted to up the genetic merit of the the dairy calves, uh, would something like a a, a grant for a, maybe a five star bull for dairy farmers? be something that's needed just to get it to that next level. Look, it is improving, but there's still quite a bit to go. I, I think, to be fair to dairy farmers, they will do the right thing, uh, no question about, about it. In fact, most of them are very anxious to do the right thing. It's more about information, I think, than grants. And actually, as long as they know what it means, when they're actually looking at that sheet that, that they can see, OK, I, I'm happy enough with the calving standard here, have I got the right carcass um, potential or have I got the right confirmation? Um, obviously, it would help, but I don't think it's about, you know, um, I was talking to my son today who manages the mart, and he sold ang- hit an Angus bull sale up to 4,600 um, for dairy cows, you know. So mm. it wasn't really about the price or affordability. It's really about knowing what will actually deliver the goods. And it's having the, the detail around that. Now, in fairness, the dairy beef index has been a huge, huge step in that in that direction, because it's fifty percent weighted to the beef, the dairy farmer producing the calves, in terms of the calving elements and the gestation length. Whereas on the other hand, the other half is related to the beef potential of the calf. And you know, in some of those indexes, you can see clearly on the well-proven bulls up to hundred euros easily of difference in the carcass uh, value of the offspring without actually necessarily having any harder calving. So so I think that's where you know where we have to focus. Uh, it's really about that information piece and knowing that every calf we produce in the future needs to have a value for somebody to take him on, rear him and actually make a profit from him. Um, you know, we, we can't you know, we can't guarantee live exports exports, but obviously we all hope that continues. Um, but it's something that needs to be managed. Yeah, no, 100%. And look, that is the aim of the game, Martin. The uh, the person who rears the calf obviously has to make some money at the end of it. Uh, for uh, people who are interested in getting involved in the 2020 scheme, uh, they will, if they ring up uh, and uh, they get talking uh, to um, a representative on it, it is done in such a way that uh, calves will be uh, sourced for them or they'll be put in contact with dairy farmers with calves for sale. There's all of that. We actually have an app as well, MJ, which you can actually um, have pre- uh, the, the calves on that app are pre-screened. 
So we've eliminated cows that don't qualify in terms of genetic merit. Uh, all of the farmer details from the seller is there. But obviously we also do specific matching in specific areas. Um, but you can actually, in any county, you can check for what calves are available, what their breed are, what their age are, what their genetic background is, the farmer's name and number uh, and address, and you can talk to him beforehand. So so all of that is, is well documented at this stage. But the, I suppose, the you know, in addition to the 25% premium piece, uh, we also have the, the club protocol bonus, which is like the quality control bonus, which is the 20 cent uh, if you're fully compliant or 12 cent for o, um, the, the, the O minus grade. Uh, and then at this time, we, we have a seasonality bonus as well. For example, in the current month, that seasonality bonus is 10 cents a kilo. Now, everything now in the scheme is actually on top of the average quoted price. Whereas in the beginning, we had, a, we had a ceiling and a floor. That's when the market was really on rock bottom, where we were trying to protect uh, the two ends of it. Um, but it, it's on an open uh, average quoted price today. And we've also added uh, a 10 cent bonus there for for culled cows from any members or those signing the expression of interest form that are working with us on the supply of calves. So those things are making, you know, those extras are all making it attractive for people uh, to work with it as such. Yeah. And uh, finally, Martin, uh, if people are interested in the scheme, where is the best uh, mode of contact? Uh, any Glanbia business manager, any Glanbia branch, you can look up on Glanbia Connect and download your expression of interest form. Once you co- uh, complete that, uh, one of the team will actually contact you and look at, you know, what actually best works for you. Um, and that can, you know, the, the structure of it can vary quite a bit depending on um, uh, your own setup, whether your own mixing or, or, or purchasing feed, uh, or indeed what kind of cattle you want to keep uh, and uh, what type of cattle suits your farming system best. Um, so we have three people that go out on farms specifically, in addition to the business managers, and those three are the people with the real technical skills around the cattle themselves, uh, the details of the scheme and maximising the outcome. But at the end of the day, then, when they get nearer to slaughter, the TPAC team come on farm as well to pick the cattle because really at the, what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody gets all of the bonuses and to make sure they're not, they don't actually send cattle in prematurely or too late so that they fall within you know, the, 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 the parameters of the carcass weight. And uh, if they have a few that are outside that, if they're within 20 kilos at either side, uh, we, we quote them uh, a bonus as well, uh, but it's determined prior to slaughter or nearer to the time rather than two years in advance, uh, depending on what the market is doing at the time. Um, you know, so it's um, it's really about working with people to make sure to get the best out of it. And uh, finally, Martin, it's uh, I'm presuming just just by listening to you, and I, I could be open to correction here. It's not solely then uh, for calves. There could be people who maybe have reared calves to a certain level, and then they want to sell them on as runners. There could be people selling stores through it. Is 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 that uh, potential available? Yes, uh, all of those, and also suckler farmers that are rearing dairy beef calves, or suckler farmers that are rearing their own calves. Okay. So, um, you know, you only have to take, um, well, first of all, 20 is the minimum number. Um, and 20, if you're if you're keeping 100 cows, 20 of those have to come from the Glanbia uh, dairy herd, if you like. And the rest can come from anywhere else, as long as it meets the genetic requirements. Uh, we don't allow any calves with more than 12.5% Jersey blood in them into the scheme. Uh, in other words, any calf from a cow with more than 25 is not eligible, hmm. for example. And yeah. on the app, then, we actually limit it by carcass weight potential as well, predicted carcass weight, so that you're, you're not getting that lower end uh, into the system. Uh, finally, Martin, what's the app called? Do you know off the top of your head? If you... The app is, uh, is it's, um, 
if you go to the ICBF website, you have to be a member to access it, actually. You have to have signed an, an expression of interest form right. that goes in on the system, then it gives you access. But it's through the ICBF services uh, section. It's the 2020 CAF locator app uh, within that. Okay. But you only have access once you've signed um, the authorization to use your data so they can actually access it then. Yes. Uh, and your own hair details come up then as well, you know. Yes. And you can upload calves or you can, you can sell or buy on it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yes, understood. Uh, Martin, many thanks for that. Great rundown, I have to say. And uh, look, we'll be speaking to you again on the programme at some stage. Thanks, Millen, and good evening all. Uh, Martin Ryan there from Glanbia and that's a rundown of the Beef 2020 Club uh, there are some uh, pre-requirements in it you have to buy your supplies for if it's calf rearing that come from Glanbia uh, and uh, obviously for finishing as well uh, concentrate has to come from them uh, but just looking at the figures heifers being killed at 21.8 months at that 280 to 300 kilo carcass weight uh, with 800 kilos of concentrate uh, consumed uh, that is good I have to say, you're, you're talking, they're going to be north of 600 kilos live weight at uh, not two years old. So for an Angus heifer, uh, that's it's good, it's as good as you'll get, really. And uh, it does come down to it, doesn't it? An ounce of breeding is worth a ton of feeding, as they say. And uh, good to hear about the jersey, if there's a 12.5% of jersey that they can't be put in, because at the end of the day, you can be fooled. Uh, as a dairy farmer said to me a few weeks ago, the black, uh, the Angus hides a lot. And as an Angus calf, you can look at them and you can say, this is a great calf, but they'll lend to them. And uh, as they grow, then you realise that they're uh, they're going to come into nothing. Uh, so the genetics is the, the key on that side of things. And uh, good to hear that on the on the Jersey side of it. So if you're interested, pop onto the website or at uh, go into any of the Country Life stores and uh, ask about it and uh, you'll be given the details. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to have Minister Patrick O'Donovan and he's going to be speaking about a big event which Fine Gael have on in Tullamore this Saturday. Uh, it is a rural development conference and it runs the entire day in the Tullamore Court Hotel starting at 11. We're going to hear all about it in just a moment. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, I'm joined on the line by Minister Patrick O'Donovan. Uh, Minister, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thanks, MJ. Uh, you have a big event coming up this Saturday in Tullamore. Uh, Minister, can you give us a, a bit of background to it, please? What's it all about? So so this um, so this weekend we're having a conference, uh, Fine Gael are having an agricultural and rural development conference in, in Tullamore uh, on the 11th of May. Um, it's, uh, it's really a conference that we're looking at uh, bringing people together uh, post-COVID, uh, having our membership, our supporters, people uh, who, who are interested in, in, in advocating for Fine Gael together, um, to really, I suppose, hear what uh, it is that we're doing in rural communities, but more importantly, and as importantly, um, listen to their views around what it is that we hope to um, uh, try and do as, within policy and within government um, across uh, a number of different key areas uh, across rural Ireland over um, the next while in government. So it's an opportunity for people, first of all, I think, coming out of COVID uh, to catch up with people that they wouldn't have seen for, for a while, um, as well as that to hear what it is that we're doing in government um, and as well then to, to listen to some speakers that are coming from outside of the, the Fine Gael tint um, who are coming both to challenge us as a party in terms of what it is um, that uh, they would like to see us doing but as well as that then to uh, hear what we have been doing in government over the last number of years uh, both in this coalition and in the previous governments as well, and the investments that we've been making under enough, a number of different headings in the, the Departments of Agriculture, Rural Community Development, my own department, the Office of Public Works, and other departments as well. 
Yeah, I see one of the sessions, Minister, is the challenges and opportunities of climate action for food production. Now, there's lots of challenges. Uh, I suppose uh, for every challenge, there is an opportunity in some way, shape or form. But uh, climate action, the climate question in general, is the big one on farmers' uh, lips all over the world, I suppose, at this stage. And uh, it is a, it's, a, it's a big one coming down the tracks and it's hard to have the answers for it, really. It is. Look, I mean, this is a this is an issue that is affecting um, not only the farming community, it's affecting uh, people who live outside the farm gate. Uh, you know, it's affecting people that live in rural communities, it's affecting people who live in urban communities as well, not only in Ireland, but right across the world. And it's something I think that we need to be honest with. Um, you know, I live in a very rural community. I live in a small rural parish in rural West Limerick. Uh, I represent probably the most rural constituency in the country. The largest town in my constituency is only 7,000 people. So when people tell me they live in rural Ireland, you know, I say, well, you know, welcome to rural Ireland. When you when you represent a constituency that's 80 miles wide and the largest town has only 7,000 people, the largest employer is agriculture. I, I know exactly what the, the needs of rural communities are. Uh, and I'm attuned to those needs. But it, it isn't about, I think, putting one community against another. It's about listening to what people's needs are, but being honest with them as well about what you can achieve and the period of time over over, over which those can be achieved, the investment that will be required to achieve them, and how that investment can be spread to make sure that it will bring the greatest number of people possible with you. I suppose the big one for rural Ireland, the general minister is, and uh, I'm sure you've, <laughs> not the first time you've been asked this, but uh, internet connectivity. Uh, say in your own area there that you, you just mentioned, very sparse and very broad. Uh, what's broadband like? It's it's improving. Uh, look, there are challenges everywhere. I mean, I, I anecdotally, I, you know, you have a situation across my own constituency. I know from talking to Charlie Flanagan and others, it will be the same in every constituency. We have the situation where the National Broadband Ireland is making is making great strides. An awful lot of people maligned it uh, that, you know, this was the wrong thing to do, but I think it was the right thing to do. I think it is the right thing that the government should be investing heavily in the role of rural broadband. And I know that some people are, are, are critics will always say that it is the wrong thing to be investing, uh, you know, large sums uh, of, of capital money in rural areas. But to me, it's, about, it's the very same thing as rural electrification. It is as important today as uh, the rollout of electricity was in the 1950s and 60s, and it is about making sure, and now we know that, for instance, in COVID, and particularly post-COVID, how important it was for people that when we needed to lock down the country, that we were able to connect them, both their grandparents to their grandchildren, employers to employees, people for the basic services, like even people that wanted to go to mass, uh, how important it was that they had a good quality broadband connection but we have a lot more to do, and that's why the government's commitment in terms of investing in rural broadband, connecting farms, businesses, communities, community centres, that is not something that we're going to be detracted from. Uh, and I know that there are those in opposition who would like to see us from being, um, you know, be derailed from that, but we're not going to be, and we're, we have an ambition for our rural communities through Minister Heather Humphreys, and we're going to continue to do that. When do you think, uh, Minister, uh, you could say um, realistically that everybody in Ireland could have a, a broadband connection? Well, look, it's the ambition of the government that we're going to continue, obviously, to try and make sure that the number of connections is maximised on a year year-by-year basis. But I think this year's census will give us a better indication. First of all, there's more houses being built. Um, you look at the, 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 the breakdown of, of every county in the country is broken down by electoral divisions called district electoral divisions. I can guarantee you that if I came on your programme after the census, uh, that the, the district electoral divisions of places like Lee, Shoffley, Westmead, Longford and all the other uh, counties in the Midlands 
guaranteed to have those communities in every district electoral division probably gone up because the number of houses that are being built is, go- is going up, even in the most rural of rural areas. And this is a very strong principle of Fine Gael, a commitment to allow people to build houses in rural areas. So the reality is that we're always going to be needing to be stretching that target of rural broadband is always going to be needed to be stretched, whether it is fibre to the wall, to the gable into the house, or whether it's going to be, um, uh, you know, the different forms of connectivity, whether it's by uh, wireless signal. We're always going to have outliers that are going to be uh, out there that are going to be difficult to reach areas while we're going to have um, the rollout of fibre. But the challenge for us is going to continue to be to invest it through the National Broadband Programme, and we're going to continue to do that because if we're going to ask farmers to continue to engage with the Department of Agriculture, Chagas, uh, you know, places like Mount Bellew, um, Palaskinry and other agricultural colleges in Doreen and where, uh, uh, everywhere else around the country, the, the reality is to, to do that, uh, you need to have students, if they're working remotely, and farmers, if they're working remotely with their banks and everything else, you have to be able to have a good quality broadband infrastructure that they will be able to connect at home uh, and safely to as well to make sure that it's a safe uh, broadband uh, network that they'll be able to do that. And back at the start of all this ministry, I did ask you, when did you think? Um, I do get into a bit of a headspin sometimes when I'm talking to a politicians, minister. I don't know whether I'll be coming or going. Um, it's a great skill set you have. Um, the question was, when do you think uh, the majority of people in Ireland will have a broadband connection? Because there's lots that don't have at the moment. Will we be talking in the next year, year and a half? Are we talking five oh, no, years away? Be, what do we it think? Won't be in the next, it won't be in the next year, year and a half. I mean, we, we will be hoping that by... Uh, 2025, 2027, out and in, that the build-out will will continue apace. Um, well, it, it's you know, hard. So your your second session minister is ensuring life in rural Ireland. So if we if yep. we can't guarantee broadband until 2025 or 2027, there's not going to be much life in rural Ireland with working from well, home I, well, and, wha- and whatnot. Now I, it, well, it's going to it's going to be based well, on people mainly in in agriculture well, who who, who don't have uh, connection to the I, internet. Well, I, 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 it won't. And I can tell you as somebody who has responsibility for a department that has some of the most isolated places in West Kerry and in West Galway and in, in Mayo and we saw this even uh, with, when Fine Gael had our uh, day-long session where we had Senator Paddy Burke out in Clare Island in the most isolated place where we had people working from hubs. It's not all about where would, uh, people would have access to uh, broadband in their individual homes, but the government is investing serious amounts of money in hubs uh, and uh, as Minister for the Office of Public Works, where we have um, re- uh, reconfigured old Garda stations in some of the most isolated rural areas, together with local authorities, uh, and invested heavily through rural broadband schemes with Minister Heather Humphreys, we are making sure that where people want to work remotely in the most isolated rural communities, that the government is investing in that as a stopgap measure until such time as we have the necessary infrastructure to make sure that we have fibre to the gable end of every single house in the country. So we're yes. not doing and, that. And, and what I'd say yeah. that is no, fair, fair enough. As you say, it might, may, may not be possible to get everyone's home straight away, but if you have a hub, it is a, it is a stopgap. I'm going to have to leave it there, Minister, um, and I'm going to say many thanks for joining me on the programme. Your, your event is on this Saturday uh, and it is in the Tullamore Court Hotel. Uh, starts at 11am and runs for the day. So if you're interested in that, um, off you go. And I will say many thanks to Minister Patrick O'Donovan there. And I'm going to drop to an ad break really quickly because after the break, I've Ross and Amy Jackson from Lacka Organic Lamb on the uh, from Lacka Organic Farm, I should say, on the line.
And you're welcome back to the last section of this evening's programme here, Country Life on Midlands 103. And we have Ross and Amy Jackson from Lacca Organic Farm on the line. Uh, you're in County Tipperary, but you're not too far from County Offaly, uh, just over the border. And I'm starting off with, uh, have Bodie on the line, but uh, Ross, I believe you are more involved in the kind of tillage and grassland management side of things. Am I correct in that? That's correct, yeah. I look after that. Yeah, so I'll... Yeah, and Amy, Amy works with lambs. So I'm going to shoot Amy in a moment, but I'm going to start with yourself, Ross. And uh, there was a nice write-up in yesterday's Farming Independent. You had an open day a couple of weeks back, and uh, the write-up yesterday was a two-page spread about your conversion to organic and uh, your your enterprise. So can you just give us uh, a little bit of background, uh, Ross, please? What is your, your overall enterprise, please? Okay, so we're farming in around 50 hectares. At the moment, it's roughly 60% in tillage and 40% in grass or multi-species wort. Uh, on the tillage side of things, we're growing malting barley, which goes to uh, Waterford Distillery for making organic whiskey. And on the oat side of things, it goes to Flavins for making porridge oats and uh, organic oat milk. And from the the, the tillage enterprise, uh, say the likes of the uh, the malting barley versus the oats, what would you? What's more profitable? I suppose in a word. I suppose in a word, the barley we're getting more uh, for the barley yields are slightly less. So we get a little bit more yield with the oats. So all in all, barley slightly does better than the oats. A uh, question people always ask with organic farming, and especially with tillage, is how do you manage uh, when it comes to lack of use of herbicides and pesticides? What's your, your, your strategies? Yeah, so that's the one thing I was actually very worried about going into organic because I came from a 100% tillage background. I was worried about tillage weeds coming straight back into the crops and decimating them. So... What we did, we decided, Amy and I, we were going to put the fields into grass for the first two to three years while we were in conversion to build fertility and try and reduce the worm or the side the weed burden. And that was our plan. We then slowly started to put the fields into tillage and we found that very few weeds actually came through and we we're actually delighted the way it's working out so far. And we have a good rotation in place then as well. To, yeah, um, well, you're, yeah, it marry, it marries, it does marry very well. And uh, from from your article in the Indo, uh, it shows that uh, you were ahead of the curve, uh, um, Ross and Amy, in that you showed multi-species sward back in 2018. So I know you can't walk around the corner now without hearing multi-species sward, but back in 2018, it wasn't as popular. Um, how have you found it in general? Well suited to the organic uh, system. Yeah, I think it's going to be well suited to every system. Uh, I think with organic, I suppose we're just kind of thinking outside the box just that little bit more because we have to, because we can't rely on uh, chemical nitrogen. So it was actually 2016 was when I put in my first crop of multi-species. And that was okay. a mixture of chicory, plantain, red clovers, white clovers, timothy and perennial ryegrasses. And the um, obviously, look, we're well used to ryegrass and uh, we're well used to its response to, to nitrogen. Uh, on the other um, the species that you put in, how have you found them longevity-wise? Well, as I say, I went in 2016, and I know you're supposed to treat multi-species worth a little different in terms of grassland management, but we didn't. We treat them as you would in any kind of conventional practice. We were grazing with sheep and we were grazing them quite tightly. But it did... They did last quite well. I suppose three to four years, um, we were kind of nearly looking for looking for plants. Yes. Um, particularly in the plantain. But um, all in all, we were delighted with it because it was going back into the tillage rotation again. So obviously you can't spray anything on 
Yeah, hundred percent. And Amy, on that, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull you in, Amy, because uh, I now want to talk about sheep, and you are the uh, uh, the organizer of the sheep part of the farm. So uh, your sheep enterprise. I know you're you're selling lamb direct off the farm. You're calling it uh, Laka Organic Lamb. And um, what's your your breeding? What uh, what type of yos are you running on the farm? Um, well, we we started off with a, a sort of mixed bag of um, commercial ewe lambs back in 2015. And we've bred our own replacements since then using a border Leicester ram. Um, we're in a position now where nearly all of our ewes are a border Leicester cross. And um, I want to put a bit more shape into our breeding females. And also with the problem as well, that, that say the byproduct of breeding our own replacements was that we had male border Leicester cross lambs that were destined for the factory or for lack of organic lamb. Well, for the factory, really. Um and those wouldn't kill out as well, and um, they would take a bit longer to finish. Mm. So I've I've switched from a Border Leicester ram for breeding replacements to a Rouge ram for breeding replacements. And that means my um, homebred females will be a bit shapier, and the males that are born as, as sort of byproduct, I suppose, of breeding our own replacements will um, be every bit as good as uh, Charolais. So the ram that we have is his 10 stars really his five star maternal five star terminal mm. um and his uh male like his sons are are perfectly uh, suitable for um the factory or for lack of organic lamb they'll kill out well and they'll finish in a in a decent time frame and um, you're we're using a bell test as well then for the the factory side of things and a charlie for the factory yeah so you're bringing, uh, you, have a, you have a lot of quality in there as well uh the uh, the organic lamb then if people are interested in that uh, amy what's the best way to contact you um contact me on the mobile um a whatsapp message or a phone call um we have a facebook page instagram page lack of organic lamb on both of those so you can message whatever um my phone number is 0879124309 and um, yeah, I'm very happy to be contacted any time on that, really. And how's that part, How's that business going for you? Now, I only have about 45 seconds left, so I'm looking for a succinct answer. <laughs> I'll wrap it up. Um, it's going really well. In the first year, I had loads of time. I was on maternity leave. I promoted it fairly heavily. And from the time that we registered as a food business operator and, and kicked off all of our lamb went direct to uh, private customers. Um, now I'm a bit more relaxed about it. Uh, we have a lot going on. Um, but about 40% is going direct to customers and 60% to Irish country meats through the Off Elite Quality Lamb Producer Group. And on that, I'm going to say many thanks to Ross and Amy. And I'm sorry now, but I'm going to have to just cut you short. And I'm going to have to say many thanks to the guys for joining me. That's Laka Organic Lamb. If you're interested in it, check it out on social media. And I'm going to have to say many thanks to my guests this evening. I'll be back with you next week and we'll talk to you then. Good night and God bless. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie.